You're listening to Tone Vendors, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tone Benders. I will be your host for today. My name is Tim Muirhead. Today, we'll be talking about the powerhouse music documentary, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. It's a corny beat, but... It's kind of cute, though. This film, available via Apple's streaming service, follows the rise of Billie Eilish from up-and-coming prodigy to an industry-dominating global superstar. Unlike many music docs, The World's a Little Blurry mostly sidesteps the expected glitz and glamour and digs into how fame, money, and power transform a person's life and also the many ways it changes nothing at all. Hearts are still broken, self-doubt looms, and families still cry together. Joining us today to talk about the film, we have its director and sound crew. First up, let's introduce R.J. Cutler, the film's director. A bit of a legend in the industry, R.J. produced the Oscar-nominated doc The War Room in the 90s, an absolute game-changing political doc. He also directed the September issue, a behind-the-scenes look at Vogue magazine. And these are just a few of his credits. There's way too many to mention. R.J., welcome to Tone Vendors. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you. We're, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. Excellent. Also joining us today is supervising sound editor Richard E. Yon. Richard has a packed IMDb credit list with projects going back to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure all the way up to the recent series, The Good Doctor and Preacher. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Okay. Now we also have re-recording mixers Elmo Pons Dominic and Frenchie Gaia joining us. They were the re-recording mixers on this project. They have worked together on some amazing series recently like Barry, Silicon Valley, and Insecure. Jason Elmo, can you quickly tell us who handled which food groups on the mix stage? Yes, uh, this is Elmo, and I, I handle the music and the dialogue on, this, on the show, and Frenchie handled the sound effects and Foley. Excellent. So let's now dig into the world's a little blurry. RJ, can you talk to us about the shooting process on this project and maybe what your greatest worries or needs were when you first sat down with the sound team? Sure. I mean, the, the filming process was pure cinema verite, uh, with the exception of, of Billy's concert performances. A single camera, mostly Canon C300, boom mic, sometimes some lavs, uh, never more than one or two that I can recall. Jay Kim was our sound recordist, and he was mostly holding the boom. And, uh, and we filmed a, a ton cinema verite and, and the audio was captured that way. There was also a great deal of family archive footage shot on an iPhone. And, you know, Billy's born in 2001. And the footage that we use doesn't start until probably 2008, 2009. So we're talking whatever technology is on your phone between 2009 and 2009. Uh, 19. It had to suffice. Uh, and then for performance, we're filming multi-cam, but the audio sources are off the board as captured by Billy's sound team. Um, Jay would have a boom that would pick up uh, the uh, crowd. And then we also were given access to the stems of the recorded uh, music from Billy and her brother Phineas, who's her writing partner, and those stems were used to score the film. The challenge was to keep it real at all times. Uh, this is not our first adventure together, so uh, these guys uh, know my my taste and my sensibility, and we like we want it real uh, and true. 
um, which doesn't mean unenhanced. It just means that it should always feel real and true. Um, but we also want the music to be pristine. And I, I, I don't know if pristine is the right word. Here's what we want. We want Billy to be happy and we want Phineas to be happy. And that's the standard that we, uh, that we applied. Real when it's real, uh, Billy and Phineas are happy when it's music. That was the, the concept, uh, I believe. Uh, Elmo, what am I forgetting? I think you nailed it, actually. So I, I just want to say, I mean, mostly the, that direction of it's verite, it's verite, it's verite was hammered, not just by RJ, but by his team to be sure that we were on the track to not create something bigger than we're looking at. It's, it wasn't the goal. And to that end, on the music side, uh, Aaron Forbes, who handled the music for Billy's group, did an incredible job collecting the live sound of the concerts, both from, you know, whatever microphones are out in the in the crowd to Billy's vocal mics to the background mics to the board feeds, and then did some premixes that I then handled, some of which were stemmed out for the purpose of underscore where maybe a vocal was taken out or what have you. Uh, but that was also presented to me that way for the concert performances so that I had separation between the drums and the bass and the guitars and the, and the vocals, et cetera, the vocal reverbs. Uh, and we used that to sort of take what were stereo stems, which is the world they live in, essentially, and bring that into a theatrical Atmos world because that's where our delivery would be. So when you listen to the concerts, and the majority of that is, well, I should say the majority, all of it really, is natural sound. The only thing we did in effects really was not try to en enhance in the sense of making bigger, but like I want to say only really Coachella is the only performance I can think of where there's any crowd to fill out what you see. Uh, but it's basically an extension of, of the real sounds. We're not, we weren't trying to reinvent Billy. She didn't need it. And then, and also, though, you, 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 one has to remember that when you're talking about verite, you're talking about filthy sound. You're talking about crap. You know, even in the hands of a master like Jay Kim, who is capturing audio at, at the highest rate possible, it's filled with noise and distractions and outside noise and you can't hear a thing. And Richard was able to uh, edit that. It, it's 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 crazy what we can hear. In fact, we <laughs> there are a lot of subtitles in the film, but we don't need any of them. We got used to them. And I kind of liked the effect that they had emotionally, and we added them in the offline. But then once the once the sound edit and mix were done, we realized we barely need these things. But the the neurotic director it was it was like a crutch for me. I was like, no, don't touch a thing. So um, it's amazing. It's amazing what was able to be pulled out of raw material and and how uh, how. It sounds like you're in a completely controlled environment when you're in, in always the opposite. Speaking to that, I, I want to say the first clips that I was sent over by Trevor Smith, who's RJ's partner and producer, were scenes from the trailer behind after Coachella. And if you remember those, they had generator in them. They're to the stage at Coachella. Right. So we've got Coachella outside, we've got generator, and, uh, and they're talking. And we want to try to hear that. So to that end, I did some rough stuff, but I can let Richard answer what I know that he and his team put time into that. Yeah, it was certainly a challenge uh, considering all the different audio formats. Uh, and I was certainly pleasantly surprised to see 
where we started and then the final outcome. I mean, even with uh, some of the home video iPhone recordings uh, actually came out pretty amazing and were usable. We had to assemble everything and, and uh, clean it up and uh, make all these sources work. Of course, Elmo then takes it to the next level, but uh, we definitely had areas where there were technical issues with hums and, and generators and such that we were able to help Elmo with using certain plugins like Isotope and things like that, which helped save him a little bit of time and then he could take it another step further uh, to really bring out some of this dialogue that uh, RJ was talking about. So I will say in Verite, those subtitles are awesome. <laughs> they're, a sound, they're a sound guy's friend. Yeah. Well, something that I just want to tell you my kind of backstory coming into this film. Uh, I'm I'm not a fan or an unfan of Billie Eilish. Like I, it's, I'm a, I'm not in her main demo, obviously. Uh, but when the movie came out, I decided to put it in and watch it. And I assumed that the documentary wasn't going to be meant for me, but I'd maybe learn a bit about uh, what's going on with this kind of younger generation that I'm in. But the film is for me because in addition to Billie's story, there's also the story of her parents. And there's an amazing scene where uh, it's a, her mother is talking to the camera after Billy meets uh, Justin Bieber. And she's trying to talk about how she feels bad for Justin from what he's gone through. And as she's talking, she's realizing, I'm putting my daughter in that same situation. And it's, it's a very powerful thing where you see her trying not to tip her hand of what she's kind of realizing in a, while she's saying something else. But during this whole kind of emotional scene, A, there's no music in it, and B, she's cleaning up the kitchen from a meal. So there's uh, water going down the sink drain, the taps going on and off, and it everything she says is crystal clear and comes across perfectly. And I thought that was a really um, impressive scene that I wasn't expecting from a movie about a teen pop star kind of thing. I wonder if we could kind of dig into that scene a bit. Maybe, Richard, if you could talk about what it was like when you first got it. Um, sure. You know, when you're recording natural sounds like that in a natural environment, you don't always have the professional miking set up. A lot of times things can sound very roomy, unbalanced, off mic. You know, the trick is, is to get that uh, balance between the different cuts and the angles and everything like that. So it doesn't sound like you're ping ponging all over the place audio wise. And as I recall, I think that scene was not one of the most tricky scenes, but it definitely cleaned up well, but we also don't want to go so far as that we take away from the fact that we feel like we're there. We're there, the fly on the wall, in their life. I think if it's too clean, you know, you take out all the bangs and all that kind of stuff, it takes away from that. So, There were a couple of spots that in late passes, we actually put a little noise back. And that would be, I can tell you specifically, Billy and Phineas in the bedroom composing, I don't remember which song, I remember Lindsay, our picture editor, going, you know, I, I'm kind of missing the noise now. And we went back and we put a little of it back in. It's natural. It's their experience. Your description of the scene is so spot on accurate. The, the one thing you left out is that uh, uh, Maggie's in the kitchen talking to us, but through the kitchen door in the living room, we see Patrick sitting and paying the family bills. Uh, you know, he's licking the stamps and he's pounding on, you know, he's doing, at, which is of course so significant because one of the things, uh, this is a film about transformation. Everybody's transforming. It's the fundamental transformation is a, a, um, 
a young girl becoming a young woman, a child becoming an adult, a, a relatively uh, unknown becoming a global superstar, uh, parents with children in the house becoming parents with children who are driving off and no longer in the house. So much is going, so much transformation. And then, of course, there's a subtle financial transformation that we all know they're going on. They're all going to go through living in this tiny home. What's what's the future hold? And you see it. So there, Patrick doing his bills matter. But the space allows for that. The audio allows for this whole space. We're not kind of contained in any way. And this brings me to a, a point that I'm, uh, I was put in mind by listening to your description of it because you used the word story multiple times. The story we're telling, the story was you thought was not for you and then you realized the story was for you, which indeed it is. And this is why Elmo is the first call I make everything I do to do the audio because he and his team and anybody I know he's going to bring in and involve are storytellers. And I don't know anything about sound, but I can tell the story. I can say, these are the story values that matter in this scene, in this moment, in this sequence. I don't know why it isn't working, but it used to make these, the, these story things used to be clear. And now these story things are, are unclear. What can we do? And they'll come up with brilliant solutions. And so uh, that's the key. That's the essence of the, I think, of the work that's, that's being done here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I'll say I had the same reaction as Tim initially seeing this. I was very moved by the film the first time I saw it. I have an adult daughter who's in her 20s. So for me, watching Billy go through, you know, the pain she went through emotionally and physically was heart-wrenching for me as a parent, you know. So there's that aspect. Plus, there's the other side of, which I'm sure may have happened to you as well, which is watching this down. Music is music, man. And these guys are excellent. They're incredible musicians. They tell great stories. They're great storytellers. So I got very wrapped up. I told my wife right before we started doing the final that I had an 18-year-old in my head and I couldn't get her out because <laughs> I'd, I'd immersed myself in Billy's mixes to try to get a feel for you know, what they were after on the records and, you know, what performances I could hear so I could hear what they sounded like live. And it, it's infectious, you know, and she is, you know, clearly, and that's worked, you know, to her advantage. But, you know, her empathy for her fans in spite of what she goes through emotionally is, is really touching, you know, and, and speaks of the kind of person she is. And that humanity, I think, between of her and her family is what, kind of sucks us all in, I think, you know, because we can all relate to it. Yeah, and you care about her. You know, you, you have empathy yeah. for her. It, the film draws you in in that sense. That's what I loved about it, yeah. Yeah. I think part of the thing that makes you care is that I, I mentioned in the intro how the documentary isn't about the glitz and glamour. It's about the smaller moments. But one of the things that I think the sound does that makes that feel more real maybe is the right way to say it, is most music documentaries, they cram music from frame one until the very end. And uh, as I mentioned, that scene in the kitchen with the mother, there's no music underneath that. The, there's another really amazing parental scene after she drives off on, in her car for the very first time driving on her own. And the dad gives this very eloquent speech about uh, how he has to live in denial in order to be able to sleep at night because he, otherwise he'd worry himself to death about his daughter. And again, there's no music during that. And the, the, the fact that it's a music documentary, but you don't cram that music down every moment of the film 
I think really differentiates it from other documentaries that I've seen. Was that something that just kind of evolved or was that part of the plan from the beginning? Maybe RJ, do you want to take that? Well, yeah, I mean, there there are dual concepts going on that want to function in harmony. One is that you're telling, again, you're telling the story of uh, a coming-of-age tale in the classic vein of of coming-of-age tales. At the same time, it's also a musical. It's a performance piece, but it's a performance piece where every song is not only functioning as performance, but it's also functioning as, as emotional uh, through line. It's also functioning as narrative. She, we, we were very carefully picking the songs that we pick. We're even very carefully picking the sources for the underscoring that we pick and what those, what the lyrical values for those who know those songs are. It is a meticulously <laughs> constructed film in terms of its audio. And this credit goes uh, uh, not only to the the gentleman on the, on this uh, Zoom, but to Lindsay Utes and Greg Finton, who edited it and edited it so beautifully. And then Lindsay joined us for the mix, which was, I mean, editors are always invited and encouraged. Now, they, I will insist, they must be there. To have the editorial perspective was so important and so valuable, and particularly valuable when the director, the director's nanny was exposed to COVID <laughs> and he had to go home Whoops. with three days left in the mix. And I was doing the mix by Zoom and Lindsay was there directing, bless her soul. But in all of that, yes, silences were critical. Often, sometimes we would drop out dialogue and just play music, but frequently we would not go to music because you don't want to, um, you know, you want the real to play as real. And uh, and that scene you give is a perfect example. There's another great example when Billy is going through her notebook and revealing to us some really intense things about uh, about her past and her her mental health. Um, if ever there was a scene that called for schmaltzy music, <laughs> it would be, but, but Greg Fenton was like, I'm, I will do this without music and it works. It works. There's some music before there's some music after, but in the key moment, he drops the music out. You know, that's again, great gifts of great collaborators working with people, uh, who, who are really intent on using every tool in the toolbox to tell the fullest, richest, most emotional story. Frenchie, we haven't heard from you yet. What was the most challenging thing on the project from the uh, sound effects side of the mixing board? I'd have to say the concert pieces, just because there was a lot of blending of mics that were shot on location, but sometimes not as many. There was quite a few uh, where there was only one mic. We had a mono mic for the entire crowd. So fleshing that out and filling it out so it was smooth, it kind of gave the performance and the reaction you want from the crowd while still sounding like it was really there and not something we were just slapping on top was decently difficult. Other than that very obvious challenge, underscoring everything and just being there to support and smooth out instead of being like a set piece for everything for the effect side all the way through was kind of like how to blend it, blending it well, because it needed to blend with production that would come in, out, in, out. Um, the scene that you were talking about earlier with the mom in the kitchen was very, very fun. A really fun little note is when she is turning the sink on, the water is actually effects for the most part, but the drain is all production. <laughs> so that really crazy drain sound that you get there, that is actually the real drain. It's in the track. Yeah. yeah. But I topped it and smoothed out the water rush before then. Just picking and choosing those moments so that it just feels smooth and 
you couldn't tell if that wasn't really there or not. It was kind of the the whole thing through. There's subtle things that complete the picture, essentially. You know, and interestingly, what he mentions about the concert stuff, you, you do got to keep in mind, the majority of the crowds I had are from Billy's vocal mics. There's very little production to spread around an Atmos theater full of speakers. So we do what we can there. And again, Aaron Forbes provided me with that material separate so that I was able to sort of spread it into the room a little bit. But Frenchie had to take that and sort of fill the walls in and make it make it solid. That's not the case in every club, but in the bigger concert scenes like Coachella, for instance, that's that's the deal. How did you do that, Frenchie? Um, a lot of EQs, a lot of panning, a lot of fader, you know, fader wiggling. Um, Crowds that come close to matching what yeah, was that there. Was, that was the biggest biggest thing is making sure that I was kind of matching the slightly off mic, very crunchy, monoed up crowd that we were getting from the production that it kind of matched but spread out. But also, like, as I pull farther back, it was less bright, so it would stop competing. So it kind of still pushed your focus forward but still filled backwards uh, as I did it. So that way there, you never felt like you were hearing something behind you that I was doing. Your focus was still on screen, but you could feel it all around you at the same time. There's a very pivotal scene uh, in the narrative of the film where Billy first meets Justin Bieber. Ariana Grande is on stage. They're watching her. But the sound of her isn't... like. In reality, if you're standing 10 feet from the front of the stage, you don't hear anything other than the giant sound system. But in this scene, you can hear the crowd reacting to Justin and Billy's uh, kind of almost a dance as they kind of decide how they're going to meet each other. But how, how did that scene come into play with the sound? Because the it, it's not what I was expecting to hear. Ariana's uh, music is in the microphone, is in Billy's mic. I want to say there's a shot before it where there's a little performance leading yeah. up to yeah, the cut. there is, for sure. Right? Yep. And then when you cut to, to her and Bieber together, we're in production only from her microphones. So that was a challenge. And I, and I can't, RJ, I, I don't remember w- what direction you wanted me to go. It was either more or less of her. I, I, can't, yeah. I, I only had so much of her, you know, so, yeah, <laughs> so it exactly. was a tough match. Yeah, there were there were, we, it was very nuanced. We built that backwards because uh, uh, th- that footage is iPhone. That audio is iPhone. There's that's you know to give credit where credit is due. That's stuff that we collected from people who were there. I, we were not there. It was the night after her performance, and Coachella doesn't let cameras on its grounds. It allowed us to be with Billy on her performance day, but the next day when she met Justin, we were not given camera access. Um, but folks were uh, around her and that was a big moment and the audio was captured and there was a pass where the crowd was enhanced, but it was too much for reasons that you're describing. We had to find a sweet spot. It's slightly enhanced, but not nearly as much as you might have uh, you might have thought. And then we dropped the sound out entirely and if you're in Billy's head and come out and play that beautiful song she and Phineas wrote. Uh, just the instrumental carries us from that into the car where she's crying, reminiscing about the moment. And the hug lasts forever. And part of why it lasts forever is because you're in her head, you're experiencing it the, the way she is. So. Fantastic. It's a great, yeah, it's it's great. A great, it's it's awesome. a great bit. It awesome. really is. Yeah, it worked well. I don't know if that answered your audio question, but I, <laughs> again, no, it did. Exactly. I think RJ 100%. just said you, you cut the iPhone when you cut to the audience. So that was the challenge. Yeah, that, that's a massive challenge. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we had quite a bit of that. So it was quite, you know, 
quite a quite a fun time to be had. <laughs> Find the sound. Did Phineas or Billy come to the final mix stage to watch this, or did they have any input or ideas on how you mix their music? They watched a cut. Oh, they watched an offline cut in IMAX, but Billy came to the mix, and uh, and it was uh, you, you guys describe it. Yeah, she only wanted to watch uh, the concert pieces for the most part. Right. So there was a bit of hopping around. But I want I do want to add, she kind of dragged in in the morning. You know, we're all, because we're still socially distancing at the time, and still, uh, you know, we're, we're all in the lobby waiting for her to go in. And she kind of drags, drags herself in. But she walked out bouncing and jumping up and down. And we thought, life is good. We did it. I was actually watching on Zoom because I was in quarantine. So the amazing thing for me is that I was watching on a Zoom on Billy's laptop, looking up at her watching the film. It was an, it was an incredible perspective. Wow. <laughs> um, and she loved it. You know, she loved it. And she's um, if she says hard or she says fire you've gotten the most supreme compliment you can and it doesn't it she doesn't go beyond that but but she'd listen to a number and she'd say hard and you know you know well look we really listen it's it's her art it's her art and it's permanent and you want her to like the way it sounds my ambition is that and she also understands story. And listen, the sound had to be worse at the beginning than it was at the end, because at the beginning, she's in a crappy little club. Yeah. She had to get over the fact that she, you know, that the flaws were flaws. You know, she had to support that, embrace it. And she did, yeah. which was great. Because of COVID, we didn't have uh, premiere events or anything like that. But lots of us gathered up at, um, at a drive-in theater and um, when, when a drive-in ends, everybody blares their horns if they like the film. So there were lots of horns and Billy got out and danced in front of the screen oh, over the closing credits. It was awesome. It was awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Also, in regards to the streaming format, I believe Elmo can expand on that, but he actually spent, what, a whole other day or two? And we did have Aaron with us to, to make sure that he felt that the music held to, for the concert performances that they held together in the, in the pull-downs. Uh, but we did listen to every other format, Frenchie and I did, and with Aaron on the smaller ones, because he was mostly concerned with the 5.1 the and the 2 channel. Uh, but I might add that Apple TV does stream this with Atmos. Like, for instance, I have Apple TV on a computer at home that's connected to an interface that's connected to a 7.1 system. It will play it, and the, the audio is discreet and sounds wonderful. It's maybe the happiest I've ever been listening to a mix after the fact at home. It's, it's just an incredibly good translation from the theatrical version. So as sound people, we're super pleased with the way that this trickled down. I got to get the uh, 7.1 set up to my Apple TV for sure. Well, uh, thank you very much for talking to us today. We really appreciate you giving us your time. And uh, again, I kind of mentioned it earlier in a question, but uh, I went into the film expecting one thing and left it having received something completely different. Everyone go out and check it out. And thank you, everybody, for talking to us today. And uh, have a great day. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for Bravo, much. everybody. So great to see you guys, as you always. Too, RJ. Peace. Thanks, you guys. Peace out. is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. 
You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.